Amen. You can be seated. If you've got a Bible with you, you've got a... An app on your phone, open it up, turn it to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't know how to find the app on your phone real fast, uh, there's a Bible right in front of you that you can use. Uh, We'd love for you to use that. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that with you. Uh, That's our gift to you if you don't have one. This is a version out of which I'll be speaking. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, towards the back, um, we have been walking through this book together over the last several weeks, and we've got a couple more weeks before we're done with the entire our book. And so um, we are moving through this description of a book, as Jeff has already mentioned, to a group of people that were thinking about leaving their faith because of the persecution that was there and what was happening around them. And the encouragement of the writer is to just keep going. Um, as we get started, I want you to, I wanted to tell you about kind of a crazy uh, Friday night I had about six months ago. And so, um, this crazy Friday night started out at home because I'm 41 years old and I have four kids. And so the, the craziness means being at home, really. But this was after all the kids had gone to bed. I was sitting uh, on the couch and I picked up my Apple TV remote and I navigated, and this is where it gets really crazy, to the PBS app on my phone. I mean, on the TV, the public broadcasting system. Y'all don't look too enthused about that, all right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, the I don't know if I was looking for a Sherlock episode or if there was, if I thought Downton had returned or something. Like, a lot of insider PBS language going on right here, all right? And so I was on PBS and I saw something that caught my attention. It said, and this is, a, this is one of those crazy shows on PBS, um, that was Antiques Roadshow. How many of you have ever gotten involved in Antiques Roadshow, all right? How many of you have ever seen that, watched that, all right? And it said Antiques Roadshow, Fort Worth, Texas. Now, I lived in Fort Worth, Texas for three years. There are about two million people in Fort Worth, Texas, and I figured out that by the time I lived there for three years, I knew approximately 312. And so I figured one of those people was probably on Antiques Roadshow. I needed to watch it to see if I knew anybody, right? And so I'm watching Antiques Roadshow, and they're, they're going through all the things, you know, the people that bring in stuff they think is junk and it's worth a, a $1,500 and they're just elated. And it's almost as fun to watch the person that brings in something that they think is really nice. You know what I'm talking about? Like they walk in like, this is my grandmother's, it's priceless. And they're like, no, it's 12 bucks. All right. Like and you're watching that as they're going through that description, that discussion. And all of a sudden this guy brings in a statue. This guy in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, a statue that he had been had had sitting on a table in his living room and he says i brought this in because i don't even know if it's what it is but it's signed by rodan now i don't know if you know who rodan is but he is a pretty famous sculptor he might know his most famous sculpture that he's done the thinker all right we got a couple of people that have that all right so this is the one that rodan did it's the thinker and this is not the statue he brought in because this is a huge statue in uh, europe somewhere and so this is not it but you know that pose has become famous people talk about it uh, rodan is considered one of the greatest sculptors that has ever lived especially over the last couple of hundred years he's compared to michelangelo at times and this guy brought in this sculpture that had been sitting on a table in 
in his living room and he said, I just wanted to see what this thing was worth. Now I've got a picture of the guy um, with his sculpture there. This is the guy from Texas. It was his great grandmother's who passed it on down to him. And so this is the guy from Texas. This guy's obviously not from Texas. This is the uh, high and mighty antiques appraiser that is on Antiques Roadshow. And this is the sculpture in the, mid- sculpture in the middle. So they begin to have a conversation about it. And you can always know they're not going to put it on TV if it's not interesting. Like in that centerpiece, like big time thing. They're not going to put it unless it's interesting. And so they start to talk about this this piece. And the guy says, the antique um, sculpture expert says that they've seen hundreds of Rodans on the show. And they've all been copy, fake. Okay. Either a fake that someone has replicated or a copy of something that Rodin may have actually done, but it was so far down the chain that it was not worth anything. So we've never had an authentic Rodin master on the show. And then he tells him, but I think yours is. The guy's like, oh, that's cool. All right. So he said, so, you know, that now you can tell this guy's like tolerating the discussion because at that moment, all he cares about is what? How much is this thing worth, right? And so they start to have the discussion back and forth. And he says, all right, so what is it? And the guy, the expert says, well, um, there's only one place in the world you can get it authenticated if it's real. And he said, I think you ought to go through that process because I think it is. He says, it is the Comité Auguste Rodin that is in Europe that is the only place in the world that will certify it as an official, authentic Rodin. And if it does, it significantly increases its value. He said, if it's not authentic, if it's not authenticated, if they don't do the work, you could go sell it at an auction for four to five thousand dollars. He's like, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Right. He said, if you get it authenticated, it is worth four hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollars. Now, the first thing he said after he heard, he said, wow. Wow, wow. And running through his mind, I know is, I've had this thing sitting on a table in my living room, and it's a half a million dollars, right? His next question was, how are you getting me out of the building? Because he realizes he's walking out with a $500,000, like this thing suddenly became more valuable in that moment. And I just thought about in that moment. So they didn't tell you whether it was authentic or not. They said, if you, he said, yeah, I'd go get it checked out. And then the show ends. And so you're left with that ambiguity of, is it a $4,000 copy or a half a million dollar authentic? So I did what all good people do. I went to the website and looked. It's been authenticated. It's a half a million dollar master, lifetime master Rodin. I just want you to think for a minute, though, about the difference between copy and authentic. Between not real and real. We live in a world where authenticity seems to be more elusive and more sought after than ever before. Where people are looking for something real and yet it is harder and harder to find. You, I, are deluged daily. Things come at us from every direction, every day. That are we have to filter through the, the idea of is that true or is that not? We live in a country currently that has news organizations calling other news organizations fake news. News. 
supposedly unbiased organizations calling each other fake. We have uh, live in a day when the president is calling news organizations fake and the news organizations are calling the president fake. We live in a day when there are multiple things on my Facebook feed every day that are outright false. But people are propagating as truth because they read it somewhere on the internet. I mean, just this week, somebody I respect, not from here, not from this church, somebody I respect, intelligent individual, put up a story that said that NASA has confirmed that there will be 15 days of darkness in November of 2017. I thought that probably would be something I would have heard about by now, right? And so I did what I, you know, curiously, it looked looked official, you know, all that stuff. I go to Snopes, hoax, not real, right? Everywhere we're turned, we're getting fed information that's not authentic. It's even hit the biggest event to hit Middle Tennessee in the last hundred years. Hey, did y'all know there's a solar eclipse tomorrow? Did y'all know that? Anybody, Anybody aware of that? Like, there's a solar eclipse tomorrow. And, you know, when I was growing up, I remember we had a partial eclipse. We didn't have a full eclipse because apparently that didn't happen until a hundred, like it's been a hundred years. And it won't happen here for like another four or five hundred years. Like it's a rare thing. And so um, when I was a kid, though, we had a partial eclipse. And I remember going to the college in town, Dyersburg State Community College. And we had to have one of those contraptions that had a piece of paper and a pinhole. You know, anybody remember? Like they're still, they show you how to do that. Like, and that's how you had to watch the eclipse. You had to keep your, like they made us keep our head like down like this. So that we would in no way get close to burning our eyes out. Right. And so I would do that. But this year you don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because you've got. I'm holding one of the most valuable things in the world right here. Solar eclipse glasses, right? But there's a problem. Because immediately after these things really started getting distributed, they told everybody what? Don't use them. They're fake ones out there. They're not real ones out there. Amazon recalls thousands of glasses they've sold. I don't know if you saw this morning, but if you went and got your solar glasses, the white ones that Vanderbilt handed out at the Williamson County Fair, 8,000 of them, they're all fake. They've recalled them this morning. So don't use them when you burn your eyes out, apparently, all right? And you have to, to, to get them authentic, you have to have a certain words on it. You have to have read the requirements for the ISO 12312-2 filter for direct observation of the sun. You got to be able to put it up to your eyes and not see anything. I cannot see at all, all right? These must be real, all right? But there's this whole description. Are, are they fake or are they not? And people saying, well, if there are, if there's a chance they're fake, I'm not risking my eyesight for this. And there are other people saying, I don't care because it's a once in a lifetime event. Like the next one's not happening until 400 years from now. And I'm not going to be around for that. Like I'm going to experience the sun being covered up, right? Authentic versus fake. Can we trust it? Is it real? I want to talk to you today about something that's more important than a $500,000 Rodan. It's more important about whether the NASA has declared 15 days of darkness in November. It's even more important than eclipse sunglasses, as hard as that is to believe right now in our day. It's the most important, authentic, or fake thing you'll ever have in your life. And that is simply, is Jesus worth trusting? And is your faith authentic? Can I put my trust in Jesus? Can I truly do, put my life in his hands? Trust he is who he says he is. Trust he will do what he says he will do. 
And is my faith real? Is it authentic? Is it verifiable? Chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about faith. It's all about people that lived by faith. It's all about what they did with their faith. And the book is intended to show us and to show the original readers that what faith is and is not. I'll make a confession to you right now as a pastor that it's not always hard for me to have faith in Christ. Like, I don't ever remember a time in my life when it was life or death situation whether I had faith in Christ or not. In fact, it's advantageous for me to have faith in Christ. Man, if I walked home this afternoon and told Susan, you know what, I just don't believe in God anymore. Man, it would irreparably damage our relationship if that's where I was going. My family dynamics are completely changed. My job kind of depends on me believing in Jesus. Right? Like the first question I get asked in an interview for this job over 10 years ago was a question that many of you cannot be asked in an interview for your job. What do you believe about Jesus? Tell us about your conversion to Christianity. Right? If I walked in this tomorrow morning and just said to Deborah sitting at the desk, you know what? I just decided last night I don't believe in God anymore. I wouldn't be your pastor next Sunday, right? In the first service, I said that. And before I could get the words out of my mouth, Jack Foreman was sitting right here. He went, gone. I was like, hey, you look like you're a little too comfortable doing that, Jack. I'm a little concerned. Right? <laughs> a little too excited about it. Like my life, and, and not just a job that I enjoy and love and love being your pastor, but it's, it's the way I support my family. And so it's advantageous for me. I have not been in a situation where my faith has been tested to the point that it is life or death. Or it is really disastrous for me if I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I've lost some friends in my life. Yeah, I've missed out on some opportunities. But nothing major. Even in that. There are those moments though when trusting in God, having faith in Christ is not always easy. There are times I'm sharing my faith with somebody uh, on an airplane um, on the way to Phoenix, talking to a guy next to me. And he just looked at me and said, you, you really believe that stuff? Like when you say you're a pastor, it, it generally opens up the idea that they know you kind of have some relationship with Jesus there. So you like really believe that stuff. And in my mind, my first response is, yeah, absolutely, of course I believe that stuff. And then I start thinking, okay, what am I talking about I believe? Really? Sea splitting, people walking through on dry land, the Egyptian army comes in, completely killed. Walk around a wall seven times and the wall falls down. And the biggest one of all, dead, raised to life. And intellectually, logically, mathematically, Working all that out, sometimes I go, you know what, that, that requires faith. Or, when I feel like God's asking me to do something hard, I don't want to do. I don't like to do. It's difficult to do. That, that, God, I mean, I, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good where have we been, I'm good where you've had me, but I mean, that, that's big. I think about missionaries, you know, I've read stories of missionaries, I'm fascinated by missionaries, um, I've asked God at times if Susan and I are supposed to do that and just the Lord has continually said, no, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But um, 
Like, I've never heard a missionary say, you know what, I was just sitting there one day and I thought, you know what would be good for our family? Is we move to a completely new culture where they don't speak our language and nobody knows us and nobody around there really thinks about Jesus a whole lot and we decided to live there for the rest of our lives. Like, the reason they go is because God's called them. And I think to myself, what if God told us that tomorrow? What if God said to Susan, not tomorrow, pack up and go? Do I believe many of us just kind of coast through our existence in this part of the country where our faith isn't really tested. It's not really challenged. We may feel sometimes that people outside of here or people on the news or people in broader culture look at us and think, man, they're not very smart or I can't believe they believe that. But it doesn't really impact our daily lives. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us that faith True, authentic faith is necessary to please God. In fact, this is what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know what the word impossible means? Can't happen. Like sometimes I've heard people, man, I just got out of that impossible situation. It it wasn't impossible. Like if you got out of the situation, it was possible. He escaped from an impossible prison to escape from. Then it was possible. Like impossible means not able to be done. And what it tells us here is without faith, genuine, authentic faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. Since the one who draws near to him must believe. We must believe in God. must believe that he exists. And that God rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God. And what I want to do today, you have to remember who this is being written to. It's being written to a group of Hebrew people, a group of Jewish people who had come to or were on the verge of coming to Christ or had come to Christ. And then their lives had been transformed in a non-positive way. They had lost family. They had lost friends. They had lost relationships. They had lost business opportunities. They had lost standing in the community. They were being persecuted for their faith. The persecution was ramping up. It wasn't going away. And they're asking the question, is Jesus worth it? I've got doubts about this. I wonder about this. Is Jesus worth it? And so I want to talk to two groups today about this phrase that he's written to those people that without faith, it's impossible to please God. These are the two groups. First of all, I want to talk to you today. If you're here and you're wondering those same kind of questions, is it worth it? Maybe you're doubting not the wholeness of the faith of Christianity. Maybe you're doubting a part of it or what God's asking you to do or what you think ought to happen or the way that God is moving in your life or the commitments you need to make in an area. Or maybe you're here and you're doubting whether this Christianity thing is true or not. You're doubting Jesus. You're doubting God. You're doubting the resurrection. And the second group of people I want to talk to today is not just those that are doubting. I want to talk to those that are untested. Those of you in this room, much like me, who it's advantageous for you to go to church and to talk to your kids about Jesus and to have that relationship. And if you ask the question, has my faith ever really been tested? You couldn't give an answer of yes, it has. Or maybe it has in the past, but right now there's really nothing going on in your life that's testing it. And what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to walk through several examples in the Old Testament of what authentic faith looks like. And we're going to ask the question, then what is it? And then we're going to be done. So if you've got your Bible still open to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 17. And we're just going to walk through these examples. 
Now I want you to notice that every one of these examples starts with the phrase, by faith. By faith. Faith is the catalyst. Faith is what gets it started. Faith is the motivation behind it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet he was offering his one and only son. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking, by faith, Abraham. If you know the story of Abraham from the Old Testament, you know that he and his wife had no children of their own for an extended period of time. And in that day and age, it was terrible not to have kids. You were considered cursed. There was no 401k plan. There was no retirement plan. There was no bank savings account. You didn't have security in your life until you had something to pass on to your kids. If you lost your land because you didn't have kids, it went to someone else. Your legacy was done and that was vitally important to them. People in that day and time wanted to have kids as quickly as possible to ensure that they had kids to work in the fields to do what they needed to do. And they wanted their kids having kids, being married as quickly as possible so that they could can sustain the workforce. So that when you got too old to work, you had people behind you that was doing the labor, that was taking care of you, that you were taking care of others. And Abraham and Sarah went for 99 years until they had a child. Now, I don't know about you and your family planning ideas, but 99 is not optimal age for having your first child. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today? Right? That's not optimal. Nobody thinks, boy, I just... I mean, I know people today are delaying getting married and having kids later than ever kind of in the history of our culture, but 99 is extreme, right? And so they have this child, the promised child of God, and then just a little bit later... God says, now take your son and sacrifice him. By faith. Now you want to talk about a test. That's not, I got a couple of things happening at work right now. That's not, I got a friend that said something bad about me at school. I mean, that's a test. And it says that Abraham, by faith, trusted the Lord, went to do what God had called him to do, believing that even if God had said to go through it, that God would raise his son because he believed so much in the promise of God that he believed in something that had not even happened yet. Next one is another example of two guys. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, this is verse 21 and 22, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And then it tells us about Joseph. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. These two guys had promises from God they had not seen revealed yet. And they're on their deathbed and they're still trusting God's going to do what God has said he will do. And they're living their lives in light of that and the reality of that. Trusting God even when it is not going to happen for them. Think about that statement about Joseph. The people of God are in Egypt because of a famine that happened. And Joseph says as he's dying, when God takes us out of this place, take my bones with you. There was no end in sight of them being in Egypt. But he knew God was going to do what God said he was going to do. Look down at verse 24. By faith, Moses, this is when the exodus occurred, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the king's palace, raised in the Pharaoh's home. But instead, he would not 
use his rights there. He would not rely on his standing there. He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to choose the way of God instead of enjoying for the moment what would have been the Egyptian palace. By faith, he said, it's better to trust God. For he considered reproach. He considered being shunned. He considered being ostracized. He considered being cast out. He considered living 40 years in the wilderness for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He's talking to the Hebrews that are thinking, well, man, we're getting persecuted. We may have not to have our jobs tomorrow. He says, for the sake of Christ, what you endure for him is greater than the job that you would have without him. He was looking ahead to the reward that was coming. He goes on to say this. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as the one who's seen him who is invisible. And then just in quick succession, three other things that happened starting in verse 28. By faith, he instituted Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. When it was time for them to go, he went to the Israelites and said, hey, kill the best sheep you've got, put the best lamb you've got, put the blood on the doorpost, and tonight the death angel is going to pass over and kill everyone that doesn't have that there. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea, the Red Sea parted, they were on dry land. The Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. In each of those incidents, amazing things happened. Impossible, seemingly impossible things happened. Because with God, all things are possible. Because of their faith and their trust in Him. So here it is. What does faith look like then for me here and now? I'm not walking around walls. I'm not walking through the Red Sea. What does it look like for me? Three things. First of all, authentic faith is simply responding to God's Revelation. It's listening to who he is and believing what he says. Back to Hebrews 6.11, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We must believe that God is who he says he is. We must believe that what God says he is, he is. Now there is within man this sense that there is a higher being than us. There is a God of some sort out there. Not necessarily built into us do we understand that it is the God of the Bible. And we'll talk about why in just a minute. But there is something inside of us that cries out for a God. You even see that in people that don't claim to be followers of God. We have within us the sense that there is a right and wrong out there. That there's something higher that has established that for us. We see that in our own country in the last week. They may not agree exactly on what that is, but there is no doubt that people believe there is a right and a wrong in the situations that have developed in our country over the last week. And they believe it's not just, this is how I feel, they believe it is a moral obligation. When our country rose up as it should, and declared that the hate being spewed by the neo-Nazi organizations is wrong... I firmly and absolutely agree with that and stand with those that declare that it is wrong. The interesting thing to me from a philosophical standpoint is they're not saying it's up to whoever's interpretation that wants to make it whether it's wrong. They're declaring a moral absolute that it is wrong. And to declare that means that you believe that there's a higher authority making it so. Secondly, we have this gratitude For the things around us that we see. 
I mean, I make fun sometimes of the solar eclipse because I do think it's amazing that they're talking about. I saw a statistic that White House, Tennessee is the city with the fourth highest number of people that are within range to drive there. And we're talking about like 13 million people could drive here for this. They're not. They're not. I know those of you in White House are like, we can't handle 30,000 people. How are we going to handle 13 million, right? But I also read this week, and this is one of those things I saw on the internet, so you know it's absolutely true. Um, but I did read and looked and, and tried to verify this, that we're like the only planet in the solar system that gets this sort of event. You ever thought about that? Like, why in the world did God create it where we're the only ones that see this? Because it's cool, right? God wants to show out a little bit. I mean, it's going to be a cool thing tomorrow. Like, if I burn my retinas out, it'll be the last thing I see, all right? But it's going to be, it's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome, man. I mean, out reading just things that happen. Uh, have y'all seen this thing about the shadow snakes? Have y'all seen that where you can put a white paper up and the, these mysterious, the scientists don't know where they come from or what they are. It's not, it's not real snakes, all right? Don't worry, they're not, thousands of real snakes don't pop out of the ground, all right? But they like these shadow snakes run in wavelengths on white paper during the eclipse and the temperature could drop 15 to 20 degrees in just a few minutes and animals go nuts apparently, right? Don't take your animals outside. They might stare at the sun. I've never seen my dog stare at the sun, but maybe he would during the eclipse, all right? Maybe she would. And so, I mean, it's just, it's cool. It's God just showing out. And the thing is, with, we see those things. When we see a beautiful sunset, when we see the beach, we want to give thanks to someone. C.S. Lewis is the one that has said that it is the atheist great dilemma that they have no one to whom they can give thanks. Now, that doesn't mean that when all of us there's a desire to know the God of the Bible. The reason for that is because Romans 1 makes it very clear that people are deceived and blinded by the enemy and by untruth, by fake stuff. And because of that, they can't see the authentic. Authentic faith is responding to who God says he is and what he says is true. That the word of God that we have, that is communicated to us, this Bible, is authentic, it is real, it is true. That we can depend on it, that we can base our lives upon what it teaches us about Him and about Jesus and about our faith. Authentic faith is responding to what God has revealed. Secondly, authentic faith requires action. You can't say you believe and not do something about it. I mean, just look at all of these people that we, even some we didn't mention, but in Hebrews eleven four, by faith, Abel offered to God. Verse seven, by faith, Noah built an ark. Verse eight, by faith, when called, Abraham obeyed and set out for a place he was going to receive an inheritance. Verse 17, by faith, offered Isaac. Verse 23 or 24, by faith, Moses refused By faith, the walls of Jericho fell because they marched. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed. Every one of these people showed their faith by what they did. Authentic faith means that you do what you believe God has told you to do because of who He is and what He has revealed. I see this with my own children sometimes. Like, we'll ask them to do something and they'll tell us they have heard us and they understand and they have not yet done, have done what we have told them to do. Any, anybody else out there like that? Hey, I need you to go clean up your room. I got you. Uh, have you cleaned your room? No, no, I heard you. Um, 
Just checking, um, is your room clean? No, I heard you. I understand. I don't think you understand, understand, all right? Because for you to hear isn't the same as for you to do, right? If you'd like to have a counseling session about that afterwards, we can do that real quick, all right, with all of us. And sometimes I think God looks at us and we're, he's like, all right, so have you done what I've asked you to do? God, I got it, got it. Understand. No, I didn't ask you if you understood. I asked you if you've done it. But God, I, I hear you. I hear you. I read it. Man, that was good. That was good today. You done anything about that? Well, I mean, it's good. It was good. I, I heard it. Got it. Got it, God. I don't think you do. Have you done anything about it? And here's the truth. This is just me being frank with you. Every week we walk into this place and I attempt to pull out truths out of Scripture for us to have our lives impacted by them, myself included. And I do that because of the trustworthiness of Scripture and the only thing that brings about true life change is God's Word as the Holy Spirit puts it into our lives. And then when you leave, I hear lots of, man, that was good, I appreciate that, man, I loved what you had to say today. The question is, do you do anything? Not because I preached a sermon, but because God has spoken through His Word. Authentic faith requires action. And here's the last one. And then we're done. Authentic faith leads to bold living. If you're writing this down, add this. Regardless of the outcome. Regardless of the outcome. Bold living. Look at verse 32 there in chapter 11. It tells us about other people. It gives us kind of the rapid fire, a lightning round of all of these people of the Old Testament and their faith. And I want you to do something for me. As I read these names to start with, I'm going to ask you to hold up a one with your right hand. Can you do that for me? One with your right hand, all right? This is group one, okay? And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That's group one. Now take your left hand and put up a two, all right? Here's group two. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourging as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Now let me ask you a quick question. Which of those two groups would you rather be? It's a pretty obvious answer, right? Like one, I mean, listen to one again, right? Obtain promises, shut the mouths of lions, quench the raging fire, gain strength, became mighty in battle, received back from the dead. That's pretty good. Now listen to this other group. Stoned, mocked, sawed in two. That sounds particularly exciting, doesn't it? Wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins and then just to kick it all off, to finish it all off, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. But here's the point. When you trust God with your life, you don't get to pick whether you're group one or group two. You trust God with your life regardless of the outcome. And the question is, is your faith authentic? 
It tells us the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts or mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. Even though they didn't receive what was promised. Will you live boldly for the Lord? Like Abraham, will you obey whatever God commands? Go wherever God calls. Do whatever God asks. You hear people all the time say, man, I believe the Bible, but I'm just not so sure about this particular part. It's not a cafeteria style pick and choose what you want. Do you believe and will you obey? Like Jacob and Joseph, will you have unwavering hope in darkness? Like the Israelites, will you trust God when everything is stacked against you? Or Jericho, would you trust God in the seemingly impossible? The depth of our faith is only revealed in true life or death situations. And for the untested among us, we may never really know what that's like. But the question is, am I willing to stand on what God says regardless? And the truth is, if you're not making daily decisions that honor God, then the question becomes, would you when the stakes were really high? I read this week of William Borden. His last name may sound familiar to you. He was an heir to the Borden Dairy Enterprise. In 1909, he graduated from Yale, but felt like he could not go to work for the family business, could not even buy a car. He had a life of luxury ahead of him. He did deny it at all. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions and was convinced that it was his job not to run the family business, but to go to Egypt to share the gospel with Muslims. After four months in Egypt, he developed spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. As he was on a boat where they were trying to give him better care than he was getting in Egypt, they said, what regrets do you have about coming to Egypt? And he could only say the words, no regrets. They buried him in Cairo. Now his tombstone listed a few of the things that happened to him. And then at the bottom is this phrase, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for a life like his. Can people really say that about you? That apart from Christ, there is no explanation for your life. Another way to say that is, is your faith authentic? Do you have a testable faith? Let's pray together.